Welcome back to another episode of Speaking to Stacy, the podcast sharing practical advice for an action-driven lifestyle. My name is Stacy Liddell, and today I had the opportunity to speak with an old friend who has recently retired from the performing arts industry. Before I introduce my guest, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in and learn something new. If you find this conversation entertaining or useful, please could I ask you to share the episode with one other person. You never know the positive impact this conversation could have on someone you care about. My guest today is Will Esau. Will is a man of many talents. He is a husband and a father, and up until recently, he was the backup to Simba on the Hamburg set for the Disney's theatrical rendition of The Lion King. Three key benefits for the listeners today are 1. The importance of having an outlet for stress, such as sport or music. 2. How to turn failure into a learning opportunity. And 3. Understanding why talent isn't always enough to succeed. Please stick around until the end of the show if you want to hear why you should be humble when approaching each and every conversation you have with someone, regardless of who they are. So without further ado, I present to you, Will Esau. As is the custom on my show, I'll let Will introduce himself, and then we'll dive into some of the topics and probably get dragged off into the weeds. <laughs> I'm Will Esau. Uh, formerly, well, I don't know, can I say I've retired? I'm a, I'm a performing artist who did the Lion King musical before. Seven years, I just finished a stint now over the Christmas period. I did another 10 weeks. I'm, I'm a budding podcaster who's been very lazy about doing his podcast, but we'll get back on it. Uh, a father, a husband, and coaching rugby in the second Bundesliga for uh, Rugby Club Rottweil. We're, we're doing well. We, you know, we've reached some of our targets. We're pushing for more targets, of course. And yeah, it's, it's great to chat to you, Stacey. My last thing, and you know what? I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to embarrass you in front of your audience because I don't care. <laughs> so this, do, you, do you remember when they used to have OD games? Like when we, before, before there was all this concussion crap. It's not crap. It's real. It's not, it's not crap. But um, I think you must have been in matric. Post, you, you must have been somewhere around there because you were playing, you were playing ones. And I, and I was in the OD team. And this guy ran on the right-hand side going, you know, where, where White House is. And you had him covered for all days. You, you were about to put in the hit. And I'm just there. And he pops the ball. And it sticks in my hand. And you turn around and go, no. Wait, how did you get that pass off? This is impossible. There's no way. There was a forward pass. I'm like, no, no, no. We're good in the ODs. When you get older, you, you know. So that was my lasting memory smarter. of you. Oh, man. That was my <laughs> lasting memory of you, man. That was, that was fun. But yeah, I'm excited. Look at you, all podcaster. Yeah, hey? got to got to do what you got to do. I got to get these side hustles going because the economy, the inflation's hey. real, bro. <laughs> hey man, listen. Hey, listen, listen. Life right now, people are putting in solar panels now, electric cars. Forgetting that they get the lithium from the Congo. Oh and, my uh, gosh! Before um, we dive into the show today, I need uh, that. I've been waiting to ask someone from Germany about this. I've heard your electricity prices are wild. Wild isn't the word I would use. It's astronomical. Where we're where we're living now, our landlady, she's got she's got solar. Okay. So that we don't feel the pinch in 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 that sense, but it's it's been crazy. Like it, it it's been mad here with with the war going on. 
um, with Russian with the Russian invasion going on, and and then the fuel price is you know it, it look let's not talk about to South Africans about the fuel price, but you know if you're living here you still feel the pinch a bit. Um, food went up, everything, cost of yeah. living really. And normally you know you think yeah, but it it yeah, yeah. it's real. We even we're getting we experiencing it here in Korea as well because it's a pretty much an import economy. They don't mm-hmm. produce a lot of their own. Um, fresh goods and things like that. So okay. we have to import a lot of food. And I think every time I go back to the shops, the price of eggs has gone up. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, yeah. What is going on in the egg market? Eggs just keep on going up in price. Eggs here, uh, you could probably get a pack of 10 for about 250 euro, okay. euros, 50, almost three euros in some places. I mean, I always, look at, I always look at yeah, for a pack of 10 because I do packs of 10. I always look at the bread price. The bread is the, the giveaway. Um, yeah. But most, you know, obviously here, thank God, they, they you know, they're big on making their own bread, uh, okay. the bakeries. And so it's not, you know, it's, the culture is very different around bread and, and so on here. But, man, life life, life ain't cheap, bro. It's it's it's, it's not. It's not for the fed hard. <laughs> and I'm having kids and, you know, it's a third mile to feed. I'm, I'm, you know, it's a lot to feed me as it is. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I think yeah, this year, I think might be a bit of a bumpy one for the economy, and then who knows? Well, it's you, you, you're, 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 you're in finance. Well, you, you know, you, you, what are you thinking? What is your, what is your projection? What do you see in the next six months for this, this sort of this first, or maybe the first quarter? What are you seeing? What I've realized is it's so difficult to predict anything in the financial markets these days because of there's so much intervention that comes from government and things like that. So, and I honestly believe that that's why we're seeing so much uh, chaos in the markets at the moment. It's because of all the stimulus and uh, the reaction to the coronavirus. And some people would disagree with me. And that's another thing in, in <laughs> with economists, I will say one thing and somebody else will say the complete opposite and, both the, both theories ha- will hold water. So I th- I think I honestly think that we're in deep shit, and <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, like yep. I mean that's the thing. I'm I don't believe in this like soft landing or I mean last year when they were talking in the US about this whole transitory inflation story hmm. from the very beginning, I was very much in the camp of a guy called Peter Schiff who I don't look, I don't believe everything anyone says all the time, but he's been pretty good on a lot of things. And he was, he just said from the get go, inflation is not going anywhere and it's just going to keep on going because interest rates are still below inflation rates. And as long as that continues, the inflation will continue. Um, So yeah, I think we've got a long way to go. Um, you're starting to see it in like some of the U.S. housing market numbers and things like that, where things are going sideways, and obviously the tech valuations have all gone through the floor. Mm-hmm. This is now a big month because earnings reports came out. Um, I haven't really looked too much into the data. I'm, I'm quite busy at the moment, so I'm a little bit detached from finance more than I'd like to be. Sure, sure. But I, I just yeah. think, obviously, I'm not a finance in the finance industry at the moment, but I like to look at it, and I just think my message to people is try to just 
try to buckle up because don't waste your money this year. Try and look after your sure. money. And I mean, you're seeing inflation numbers coming out saying like six, seven, eight percent. But the last time, as I said, you know, about the eggs, the last time I checked egg prices, eggs up 20, 30 percent. The last time I checked mm. milk prices, milk's up 15 percent. Bread's up right. 20%. So yes, maybe across right. the board, if you flatten everything out and you aggregate everything, it's at 8%. But the, the stuff that the normal, regular consumer buys, that stuff mm-hmm. is all up 15 20%, and nobody's salary is up 15 and 20%. So No, no, they're not. They're actually probably decreasing yeah, they're, by that amount. People's real, yeah. The real income of people has actually decreased in the last year or three years, however long the pandemic's been, well, been going. You know, you could, you could, we could always be like, like the, the, the summer spend that the transfer window for the, for the, for the Europe, for, for, uh, the English league, the premiership was 815. How crazy is that, eh? Oh, madness. And Tom Brady, as of 18 minutes ago, has decided it's done now. 23 seasons, seven, seven Super Bowls. Done. I just, I just got the, the blurb. So I thought I'd share that. It's just, it's just, it's crazy. And I think, I think living, I think it doesn't matter where where you're living, you know. Speaking to people at home, <laughs> you know, in South Africa, the punch is real. Yeah. Um, I have friends in the states. I have, you know, nobody is saying it's getting any better, any easier, any lighter. I'm so hearing of buckle up, people. People getting laid off as well. Like I've got a few mates Bro. in America that work in the tech industry. A couple of them have mm. been laid off, um, oh, shit. and now sort of working freelance jobs. So it's real. I mean, look, look at what happened with Twitter. You know, Elon Musk came out and said, "Look, we're going to have to cut the fat," and blah, and everyone railed against him as is obviously was going to happen. Customer, and then yeah. now look what's happening. Google have announced they're letting off people. Amazon have Buzzfeed announced they they're cutting people. Buzzfeed just cut also about eighteen percent of their their thing, and they they're looking at AI yeah. to to write their stories. So it's real. Yeah, you know, it's real. It's, it's real. And what we are here to do is to give you content so that you can laugh and smile <laughs> and hopefully come out with a positive mindset. Yes. Dealing with Will's anxiety <laughs> of life and Yeah. But it's real. Look, I mean it's real. But but at the end of the day, I mm. think even though I said the we're in deep shit, the thing is that we have gone through shit before as a as a society or previous civilizations as well. So there's always light on the other end of the tunnel, but don't stick your head in the sand and just think it's going to disappear. Take active steps to protect yourself in these times. That's all I'm saying. Just don't be naive. I suppose after, after pandemics or, or, you know, these big illnesses that come out, there's always going to, there was always going to be this uneasiness. Nobody expected an invasion, but yeah, except for, uh, yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, I think we, we just have to, you know, most important thing, be human, look out for one another. Yeah. If, if you're able, you know, something like, and, and you're talking about eggs, but hey, sometimes you can say, hey, we, you know, get your neighbor some eggs or something, yeah. or just be human and, 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 and understand what people are going through because everybody's going through a rough time. Um, you know, I, I, I know how I struggled through the pandemic the pandemic and you know being here alone well i'm not alone alone but we you know we're alone and and one thing i always said is that the one good thing about the pandemic was it was in this era of the tech age so that you could call home you could have access to people but 
that doesn't mean to say that everything's going to get better right now. It's going to get better, but it's not now. It's not tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it might be next week. So, yeah, oh, yeah man. Uh, and also, God rest the dead. Shout out to your mom. I love that woman. Oh, uh, thanks, man. I loved. I, I was very, I was very cut up when when, yeah. when I heard. I I, re- <laughs> I don't know why, but my mom could not pronounce your surname. She no, she, she would she come home could. literally every single time. She'd come home. And she'd be like, "Oh, you won't believe what I saw today." I was like, "Oh, who?" It's like Isu. And I was like, who the f- what are you talking about? Who's Isu? And she's like, you know, you know he funny. coached you rugby well, well, Isu. And I was like, mom, it's Our parents Iso. used to run in the same circles. That's the part I understand. Our parents used to run in the same circles back in the day. How, 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 how did that not like... It's like hate. we had a teacher. I'm not sure if he taught you. He might have been after your mm. time. He, I can't even remember his name. But regardless, he somehow managed to call me by my surname. Everything but the actual surname. Um, my surname is pronounced, for those of you who don't know, Liddell. Or in Scotland, Liddell, it would no. be Little. But, mm. And those two okay, are acceptable. I got Lydell, Liddell, everything but Liddell. It was, it, it was almost as if Oak did it on purpose. I'm almost sure he did. I mean, Isu, Esau, Isau, now that I'm here, the S, <laughs> the S is a Z here. Sound so Isans was quite good. Esau with the double S, Esau a lot. I've, I've been through it all, so I just, I just said listen. What out of Esau. interest? What what is the etymology of your surname? Where does it come from? That's a damn good question, which I don't really have an answer for. I mean, what I know, look, I it must be European of some kind. Uh, what I do know is. Our family, I guess, you know, as as you would understand the Cape the Cape Malay factor, our families were transported. I've got a great story to tell you after you finish. Yeah, through Indonesia and all of that. And I think maybe as the slaves were being divided up, that's you know must have been a European thing, I guess. Okay. What 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 you got? Uh, So, I did a a DNA test when I came here because. Um, I've got an aunt from my mom's side of the family who is adamant, adamant that we have Khoisan genetics and she lives, you probably do. she lives very much by Khoisan principles and very involved in the indigenous culture of South Africa and really trying to fight for their rights and things like that. Well, I guess you can't even use the word indigenous because they're not recognized as indigenous by the South African government, which is uh, yeah, insane. Yeah. Which is, yeah. um, that's <clears throat> politics, I guess. And and I love you, Auntie Jean, but I felt a little bit uncomfortable claiming that without any real evidence sure because I felt if it's not true, then Jesus, I mean, I mean like, that's fraud, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I did it out of interest for my own sake, and what came back was fascinating. So I do, in fact, have Khoisan genetics a little bit. Yeah. How funny is this, though? I've got more from my dad than I do from my mom. So my dad That's, comes from a white European, white European family, inverted commas. No. So that means somewhere along the lines, there's a, there was an illit- illegitimate oh, there was baby somewhere because yeah. she's not, or he or she is not in the family tree. Right. Um, so that's fascinating. Right. And then, so I've got a bit from both, not a hell of a lot. I think it's about three or 4%. And then got 
through that, must the mixing of South Africa, which makes South Africa such a, a beautiful, diverse country, got obviously African genetics as well. But European is obviously the biggest because I got both from my mom and my dad's side. Yeah. But yeah. the second biggest is Asian because of the Cape Malay factor. I've got Philippines, Indian, uh, I should Chinese. Like, I complete didn't look. I knew that there was there was definitely going to be some Asian genetics from the whole Cape colored admixture, but I didn't realize it would be such a big percentage. Look, it's not a huge percentage, but I think it's like 14 or 15% Asian. So it's more than Africa. I'm more Asian than I am African. And I never would have guessed that. I should do this. You should do it, dude. I should do this test. I should do it. You should do it. It's super fascinating. Especially as... Difficult to say this term because people don't understand outside of South Africa. The term colored, as a colored South African or someone who has colored hereditary, it's even more fascinating because of the mixed race factor. There was so much Mm. mixing in the Cape that you're going to have. That that is very true. You're going to have genetics from I I should do it. I mean, uh, yeah, and also explaining the term colored to people. Oh, my God. You know, when I started Lion King. Okay. Yeah. When I, okay. (laughs) When I, so, Should we jump into the Lion King? I, let's just yeah, let's let's start. Let's let's yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Um, yes, <laughs> okay. I went, I mean, we went to school together. I I mean, I I finished school in two thousand and five, right? Yes. Um, and, and I had some fun. Um, I got one of the great things about the school that we were a part of that we were we were chin wagging before we started recording. But one of the good things is you do get an opportunity to experience a lot of things, you know, that horrible um, uh, blurb at the bottom of the, the, the brochure of inspiring individuals. And now it's changed to something. They've changed. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah. They just did a new change and somebody wrote, what happened to inspiring individuals? I should actually check it out. And it really does. It, so, I, I mean, uh, I could play sports and I, and I love sport and, I love to sing and go on and act. And go. I mean, my first musical I ever did, I did in post-matric. I never did any of the school plays and the musicals up until then. Um, and so fast track, try to go to university. That was a complete <laughs> no, no go. And then I was friendly with somebody who was attached to the school that I ended up going to. And... I did a show with them in my first year of varsity, and then I started at the college the next year. Did did a three year course. You come away with a nice diploma. Sadly, the school is closed now, but that's it's closed not because of financial difficulties or anything like that. It's closed because um, Debbie Turner, who who is who was my principal and the creative direct creative uh, director of of the dance company there at Cape Academy or Cape Dance Company, she's now the chief executive of Cape Town City Ballet. And that's what she wanted to do. She always wanted to run a com- company and they seem to be thriving. She's doing well. Um, and so when I finished the course, I auditioned for, <laughs> I auditioned for Mamma Mia. I knew I wasn't going to get that shit. Cause I mean, like, look at me. And then <laughs> um, the other one was Greece. The dance part was really difficult for me for Greece. I, I just had a bad day that day. And the third one was the Lion King. And that wouldn't, it was, it was an interesting day because, you know, auditions are interesting. You go, you, you go to 
for the Lion King, you go to the dance edition, you go to the singer's edition. And I saw all these people stretching and like going crazy. And I was like, I, I, I made for this. So I sat down for the singing audition. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. I got the audition. I had to go to Johannesburg. So you, so you, a lot of the time for some of these companies, especially the big international ones, if, if they come and audition in, in, in South Africa, you know, they go for the Lion King, they really, really go to, you know, sort of Durban and Johannesburg, the big hub, because, you know, Zulu being one of the primary languages of the show, you need the authentic sound, you need, you know, you need that, you need South African artists, because of the voices, the voice is different. We do certain things differently compared to, uh, you know, artists who come from other places. And and I just happen, happen to have a skill set where I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tall, I'm about one, 183. Um, which is not massive, but it's tall. And at the time, I was in relatively good shape. Uh, so, you know, and I and 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 they thought, oh, okay, maybe he could be a Simba and then be in the ensemble. And so, you know, all the time, you're not doing any ensemble flipping choreography. <laughs> you're doing um, you're doing Simba stuff. And went up to Johannesburg, did a day in Johannesburg, came home, and I was. I was like, yeah, great. So now you wait to find out what's going to happen. And that's, that's kind of very difficult, I think, because you do an audition, you think like, oh, you're going to get a job tomorrow. What you have to realize is what I didn't know then and what, what, what probably is probably something young artists should listen to is, remember, this is a business. They've got to move someone in order for somebody new to come in or somebody's got to leave. Right, and you've always got to remember, you know, there's always somebody younger, jumps higher, sings higher, you know, it's the same same thing in sports. Hungry. There's always somebody who who's hungrier, runs a little faster, tackles a little harder, or hits the ball harder, or you swims all kinds of that. But you cannot buy experience. And so I was young. I mean, I was 23 when I when I when I started the show, turned 24 quickly. And I mean, I was young and and, and and I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And then I heard nothing for, for months, like graduated, January came around, February came around, and my parents were starting to get a bit itchy. I know oh, what's going on. You know, this is, you know, you did this audition, what the hell? So I don't know. I don't control the companies. I don't know how it works. I mean, it's got nothing to do with me. And I got offered I got a phone call. I got an American, got a, got an email from an American company that wanted to, to chat with me. So I said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Cause they off, they were check, they were offering for me to go to Singapore. Cause what happened was Lion King South Africa only did one year or 10 months or something in Johannesburg. And they were taking that whole set and they were taking it to Singapore because if you, if you've seen the show <laughs> and if you've not seen the show, I'm going to now. Spoil it for people, but you know, there's you know, there's an elevator and there's the rock pride rock comes out of the ground as well. It's also part of an elevator and you know, it's 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 a lot. It really is an epic. And I think that's why I took to the show and did it for as long as I did it. Just loved it because I think everything that goes into it is still pretty fucking special. Without a curse, yeah, yeah. Right? Like nobody's gonna come. Um it's, it's pretty fucking special. He says after he asks if you can curse. And so they offered me Singapore, and I got so excited. And I'm obviously telling my friends, and, you know, you get excited, you get a contract, you're gonna work, you know, you're gonna go. And I was making jokes with my friends, 
we were out at the fabulous tin roof that you know. Oh, what an establishment! Well. What an establishment! And it's still going. Well, they've also um, just bought out more space behind tin roof and started like an electro club. You better stop it. <laughs> when are we going? Where are we going? Uh, I think my days are done. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I think. I think happy hour was the greatest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, happy hour is the greatest. Can I have two double double Jackson lime? And it ended up being four. And people, I meant one, and so, you give me two. Now I've ordered two, and you've given me four. <laughs> four, yeah. You know, two for one. Hello. So I was joking around, and I said, "Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to London. I watch the bet the next call, and the next day." Murphy's Law. It happened. You know, they offered me to go to London and I just because of the CV and, and the prestige, I think, because it's the West End. I mean, I'm a kid who who started ballet three years ago through a knee injury, through everything. Learned how to dance, you know, never pointed my feet properly a day in my life. And yeah, they were just coming off their 10th year and I was coming into the 11th year of the show, which has now been running there for 20-something years. Jeez. Yeah, Hamburg, Hamburg just celebrated 20, 21 years. So it's 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 real. And yeah, that's that's how it went down, man. That's that and and you meet people from all over the world. So so they they don't just audition in South Africa, right? They audition in Brazil. They audition in the States. They audition in Cuba. They, you know, they find people, Australia, New Zealand, you know, because the diversity of the show, you must remember the ensemble is, is, is prime predominantly black, you know, and it's an ensemble led show. So you got to find people with talent from all over the world. They will teach you how to, to, to sing and how to, you know, obviously they'll teach you the clicks and all that phonetics. You know, in Germany, the show's in German. <laughs> you know, when it's in France, it's in French. So you will learn how to obviously sing in those languages. It's 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 a it's a complete mindfuck. Like when I when I left London and I came home and I came then I came to, to Hamburg. It was it messed with your head for a bit, but you get through it and I think yeah, that, and we were talking about just explaining to people about your etymology and all of that. And so everybody, because I don't, I'm, I say we're, we're black, you know, colored people, black, black colored, whatever. It doesn't really matter to me. We are who we are. And people are like, what is your, what is your heritage? You know, like, where do you come from? And I'm like, well, I come from Cape Town. I was born in Fintuk, Namibia, but hardly lived there. And I, you know, I come from Cape Town, South Africa. You know, where? And it's like, what? Because, you know, trying to understand that I'm not sort of black like my other friends, like the other cast, was something. So then explaining the term colored, and of course the term colored in the UK is just taboo. Yeah. So you should never say that. Yeah. Like the old Trevor Noah joke, you should never say that. It's like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, but that's what they, that's what apartheid did. It classified people into these stupid classifications. We all just, you know, my wife would say, we're all one person. Why is this such a big deal? It's like, yes, you know, even when you go to the bank these days, you still have to mark off your, your race. It's ridiculous. Um, you, you know, it's it's horrible. You sh- you sh- as they say, you should be judged on your character, not on, you know. MLK. Uh, MLK. And, yeah, it was, it was quite 
explaining this to people, but then you realize there, you know, there's an Indian population in Trinidad and Tobago. There's a white population, obviously in Brazil. This is a black population in Brazil. So, you know, explaining all that and it's, it's like, let's not get too deep into it. So I think, I think we always, we, we, we want to understand our, we want to understand our identity so badly that we have to classify us. We're just, you know, we're here to do the show. Let's do the show and let's work well together. And, and (laughs) my daughter joining us and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that's what it that's what it should be. Yeah. That's what it should be. Yeah. yeah, I also had some sticky situations in the US when trying to explain it. And it was quite sweet in a way, because it was always, you know, the women that were most concerned about it. You know, they would they'd be, you don't have to call yourself you don't have to call yourself that. I was like, No, 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 it's it's not like that. Like <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was it was tough, and the, the and obviously when there's alcohol involved, the more I'm trying to explain that look, it's really chilled. The more they're like, but they want to get yeah, and they're like, but what's the real term? Like, no, that that is the term. <laughs> That's the term, you know. Oh. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's. I think I think also that what what it, what it does do, and, and I think. We as people, because the world is really shrinking in a way, you know, we're able to communicate with each other much easier now than it was 20 years ago, you know. So, I mean, I was used, always used to say the laptop program was revolutionary. <laughs> and then I was visiting a couple of years ago, uh, went to visit Fogs and, and, and Quasi and the like, and it's like these kids all have iPads yeah. now. You know, that's normal. It's like, what? But... Yeah, explain, and the world's becoming smaller because people want to have education and they want to be politically correct all the time. And that, you know, just be people, you know, and I think, and I think that's, and that's also part of, part of how we as, as South Africans who go into the world have to educate and say, look, this is how it is and this is how it was. It was like that through this time, but that time is over now. And this explaining our heritage and our history, you have to be receptive to it. You can't, we can't make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Because you don't want to hear it that way. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Can't delete the past. Yeah. We can't, you know, we have to, we have to in some way accept that's, that's what has happened. And I think this is why we're struggling as a country to even move forward now. It's because we, we don't want to let go of certain things. And unfortunately you need to learn to let go. Mm. There's a, we all do. We all. There's a famous, oh, I'm going to sound like a bit of a, for those people that hate Fallout Boy, there's a famous Fallout Boy quote. I'm pretty sure um, it goes something along the lines of, "You can't move into the future if you keep on if you're always looking in the past." The past. So yeah, it's it's one of those sort of think, cliched things, but it's I true. It it is cliched in that way, but I think also that I think that's also part of our 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 you know, disposition as, as humans. I think, I think we, we want to be like, the, want to have the ability to move forward quickly. It, that's not, that's not realistic. Um, we want to change at, at the flip of a coin. And the digital, not this digital technological revolution has made that even more of a thing because everything is at the beck right. and call. You click, click your fingers, 
you, you, sure. something happens. You order your groceries; they arrive next morning at your doorstep. Um, right, right, yeah. right, right, right. And 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 I think I think that's that's also part of it. And I think you know now that we're seeing you know that we're seeing certain advancements in 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 our industries and in sports in in the arts. You know, everybody's trying to be modern but still old school at the same time and it's like you, you can't you can't you can't be you know can't be on the knife edge here we've, we've got to accept that we are we are so you know and, and i think i think you know especially when you're like i like i always say when we were at school the the difficulty was being massively in the minority massively and coming through that. And then when I go to Lion King, going through school, going through college, and I go to Lion King, and I'm massively in the majority. And this world collides, and then you start trying to figure out your place because you don't have to learn to react to other people. People have to learn to react to you as well. And I think we spend so much time trying to be, oh, we need to be politically correct, especially the Americans, because, you know, you damn near can't wear a poncho around them before they start attacking you. That's not everybody. I'm making jokes. And it's not. It's not everybody. But I think, I think, yeah, it's explaining ourselves constantly as 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 a people. That and, and when I say a people, Cape Malay or, or Asian or Indian or whatever, you see what I look like. You don't have to ask. I'm I'm William. <laughs> yeah. you know, deal with it. I always say that. Well, I often think because I've got a few uh, gay friends as well, and I often think. What's most interesting to me is that their sexuality or their skin color is almost the least interesting thing about them. And yeah, it makes, yeah. it, you know what I mean? So because there's so it's much so depth. True. I mean, of, there's so much depth to every person that that stuff is actually so surface deep um, that it fascinates me that people can't actually move beyond that and get to know the person underneath all that stuff. Because as I said, you know, that's oftentimes the least interesting thing about that person. They've they've lived a far I'm, more interesting life than just their sexuality or just the, the color of their skin. Sure, and and I think and I think I think the great point that we're making here is just get to know somebody, and if you don't want to get to know somebody, then don't, you know. But don't expect people to feel comfortable around you because you're not willing to. For example, if I if you if I come to Korea, South Korea, and I'm with you, and 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 you're like, hey, yeah, let's go out for dinner, and I don't want to meet your wife because she's blonde hair and blue eyed. I mean, so you know, so now I'm, I'm I'm attacking the woman just based on what she looks like, not what's the content and what what she's going to tell me or what am I going to learn from her and what she could learn from me. And I think we we spend so much time, and then you're right because it's the click of a button. Instagram is damn near, you know a modeling circus anyway, because we, we look and then you read the comments and it's like, I mean, some people are so brave at the things that they get to comment. Like, I'm like, ow. But they do that because they can hide behind mm. closed doors and when they're forced to come out and speak to people, it becomes hard. And that's where pre- prejudicial stuff, that's where, where misinterpretations happen. And you're so right because a lot of your friends that you meet from the LGBTQ community, a lot of them will probably tell you People don't hate me because I'm gay. They hate me for something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah man. I want to go back to something you said 
two things that you said about the Lion King experience. When you were learning to dance and perform for theater, mm-hmm. just out of interest, was there any one in your circle of friends or family or anything that thought that in some way you like sort of feminizing or like losing parts oh of your masculinity God, yeah. and stuff? Oh, Jesus. Oh, the family were chilled about it. The family didn't give two shits about it. A lot of my friends thought, no, not a lot of my friends. But a lot of, <laughs> I think a lot of people made jokes in jest because I'd wrecked my knee in a rugby game when I, when I played for false bay. I played for false bay in the 20s. And I wrecked my, my, my knee in a game. And everybody's like, oh, you know, because I was I was party guy at the club. You know, I was jumping up and down and dancing. And, you know, I was that guy. I couldn't do that for, for bang on six, seven months. And a lot of people always, like, they make jokes. And I think you, you get to a point where there's a lot more men who are not gay or not effeminate or not, you know, who, who are in the arts industry than they are gay men. There's, un- unfortunately, our thing is when we see somebody, a lot of the time, you know, or, or like my friends, my, my, one of my colleagues, former colleagues used to say, in our village, there was always that one gay and he was out there, you know, and it's like that in a dance company in some ways or, or any company. It's like a lot, you know, a lot of the gay guys are very out there and there's some who are very introverted. And it's like, what? I, yeah, it was a lot of jokes for me. It was a lot of, you know, innuendo in that, oh, you know, and then, and then obviously at, at the time I was trying to play rugby at the same time for the, for the club, mm. False Bay. And then, you know, it was, it was always, you know, some funny ha-ha jokes, but, but it made me actually pursue it even harder because I always felt that like, if I could move and if I can, if I can, if I had the skill, that's something that that other people didn't have. And so in college, in college, obviously the acceptance was, was, was very fast. I think, I mean, I was one of three men in, in the college when we started and in the full-time course, it obviously got better over time. Um, and you, you go through things, uh, as, as anybody does. <laughs> I mean, 8.30 in the morning, uh, almost every day you, you're, you're in ballet class. You're dancing four, four, sometimes five hours a day. You know, you're doing drama. You're doing a lot of things. So you're learning a skill. And I always say your, your career really starts in college. Um, especially for, in, in, in my opinion, for, for, for the arts, because you're starting a lot. You're starting your career because you, you perform in college. You go into festivals in college. You, you do all these things and then you're meeting people and people from all walks of life, you know, big, small. Okay, straight, whatever have you, you, like I say, you try and work out where you fit in, in that space. And I did, I mean, I did get my fair share of ribbing, but it was never, never anything horrible. I never got what, what, what some, what some people I've, I've heard have gotten. And in fact, I mean, I became, I'm, I'm, I'm very defensive of it all. You know, I always say, I really hope my team recruits a gay rugby player one day. I really do. Because I think it, a culture of acceptance has got to get a lot better, especially in that sport. And I think it is getting better. And I think in sports in general. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, when, when we, when we rip down the stigma and, and people start seeing actors, for example, some actors went through art school, but just, you know, some of them, just because they're, they're Chris Hemsworth and they're, they're making Thor movies and they, you know, they went through art school, probably did some musicals. Uh, what's his name? 
uh, Wolverine. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. You know, prime example. Hugh Jackman actually did a. St- <laughs> he tells a story where he did a play in Australia, and part of the scene was he had to he, he had to kiss a man, and somebody in the audience, little boy, is like, "No, Wolverine!" It's like, "Aha!" Uh-huh. But like, you know, a lot of these people go through art school, and so imagine the abuse everybody's taken or everybody's gone through. But mine, mine was nothing of like, "Oh my god!" That was like. I don't want to show my face out in public type thing. I can okay. care less because, I mean, you you know me. you got to have some major kahunas to come after me because my mouth don't stop yeah. <laughs> the best of times. Yeah, yeah. you've always been uh, or not been shy to stand up for yourself and what you believe, which is good. It's good. It's a good quality to have. And, and, I'm, and I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the whole language change, so mm. – you were playing Simba. As Simba, would you be singing and speaking in German for the German show? How long? Ja, klar. How long would you Deutsch be given to, to learn the whole? So I was That's a Simba cover. I was never the first cast. I was I was a Simba cover. Um, okay. And what can you explain for the listeners? What does that mean? Sure. So whenever he was, there's, there's generally, in, in most companies, they have um, three or four covers per role. And so... I, as I was here longer in, in Hamburg, I can probably be speak more on that. So when he was, when he would be on holiday or when he was sick, one of us had had to jump in and you jump on to do the show. And I think, and I think that's also the other misconceptions. They're like, you're doing his job for him. No, you, that's a part of your job. It's a part of your contract. You get paid to cover that role. It's your principal cover. And on that night, when you get called up, in some sometimes he'd go on holiday for weeks. He might take a sick day. He might take an off day. People have paid upwards of two, three hundred euros to sit in their ass and come and watch you. So you you better be on point. And 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 part of that is the language, which is a mind fuck of note. Because you know, I English and Afrikaans. You know, English and Afrikaans are my first two languages. Right. So and I learned also at school. I don't speak also like, uh, you know, but I can, I understand enough to get by. I can figure something out. Zulu then, I, I you know, I understand because the, the language of Zulu and Kosa are really close. Yeah, so. so essentially I speak two and a half languages, I would say. And then you add German into the mix. And learning German for the show was not so difficult. Because German is quite close to Dutch, with Dutch being close to Afrikaans, there are nuances, but yeah, it's not obviously not exactly the same. I'm still struggling now to this day. I've been here almost ten years. I'm ten years here in July, and there are moments where I'm still like, yeah, what? But I speak. Well, I'm fluent, uh, but I, I I get my brain gets tired after a while. But when you're doing the show, it's funny. Somebody actually asked me this the other day, like, what what is a what do you go through? You get so. When, when you, I had a week to learn my ensemble track. So that's the other thing I have to explain. So when you're on the ensemble, you, you part of, if you've seen the show, you part, you are the circle of life. Everybody coming in from backstage, side stage. That's all the ensemble coming to, coming to the, the presentation, as, as Zazu says, presentation of Simba. And we're all coming in and grassland with all the grass heads. That's all ensemble. So because I had done the show before the, and they needed me at short notice. 
which is a story that I cannot obviously air as to why they needed me, but they needed me at short notice and they gave me a week and I got it done. And it was new puppets, like there's puppets involved and it was new puppets that I had to learn. And I had to learn the songs, you know, again, you know, just the language. And I had a week for that and I got, I got that done really nicely in a week. I think also when, when you're in a pressure, you put pressure on yourself. They, they say, Oh, we'll give you a week, maybe a week and a half. You know full well you're going to do it in a week because you have no choice because you're making yourself not have a choice. Because if you tell yourself, well, I have a week and a half to do this, I'm going to be okay. And that, and that, and I think that's kind of indicative of our mindset is like, what are you going there to achieve? So they're giving you a week and fucking do it in a week. Yeah. You know, there's a don't fuck funny around. that you say that there's a law called Parkinson's law that says that mm. your task will fill the space within the deadline that you've set for yourself. So if you give yourself two weeks, you'll spread the task over two weeks. If you halve half the deadline to a week, you'll do the task in a week. Wherever you set the de- deadline, your subconscious will enact the task within that yeah. timeline that they've set. So yeah, it's interesting. Like they could have said to you, we'll give you a month and you could would have done it slowly. Oh, the, oh, if they gave me a month, oh, I would have <laughs> taken my, I would have learned it word by word. And that's the thing, because then I would have learned it word by word for a month instead of right you've got to go to your phonetics which is where you know where they teach you dialogue and then you've got to go to music you've got to go to a music rehearsal then you've got to rehearse with the ensemble then you've got to have stage time and i mean i came in the summer which i think was also really nice so it was quite warm so i was quite energetic about because i came in july of 2013 and i was basically you know in south africa summer goes until august and then (laughs) And, you know, in Cape Town. And then I was coming out of warm, a warm climate into a warm climate. I was, I think that energy was great for me. And so, yeah, that was a week. And then, then they said, okay, we're going to put you on the side. I, I had obviously a run of about three weeks, I think. And then they're in that time. So you rehearse. So I'm rehearsing for my Simba and you're on stage in the night. Okay. So it's a lot okay. of work. It's a long day. It's a long day. So some, you know, it's sometimes that's, that's 10, 12 hour days. It sounds nuts, but in a way it is because you, you, you rehearse for four, maybe you can rehearse for four hours, sometimes three hours, sometimes even five, depending on what they require of you. And the show is a total run. If you add the hours of five hours. Okay. So it's a long day. It's 10 hours. You know, you add in travel time because you're going to travel to the theater and, and the Hamburg theater is across is across the Elba, so you have to take the boat before William got clever and got a car because, you know, he wasn't about that life. <laughs> and that's stressful because you've got to time the train. You've got to time everything you've got to time to make sure that you're on time because you get uh, you, you get paid for 40 hours a week. So if you miss an hour, you're not getting paid. Okay. Right. That's That was always my mentality. So, like, you only get paid if you actually clocked in on the clock. And I walk in and I sign, and from that minute, I'm getting paid. And I think uh, this is this is, this is is the, the thing I have to start explaining to people. You're coming – so you get paid. So the show would – let's say the show ends at 9 o'clock. They pay you one uh, whole hour extra because you've got to get home. And anything – because you're still on working time. So you could get into an accident. Say a bike – a bicycle – runs over you and you have to go to the, you're on working time. So you're working 
you are paid for 40 hours. You are working. So there were days that were long. There were days, you know, I'm quite an emotional person too. So sometimes you want to cry. You're lonely. You know, your only English outlet is CNN <laughs> sometimes. Um, or the people that you're speaking to in the theater. I'm a talker. So I want to talk to people. And I, you know, and that would, that language barrier got frustrating. Um, but most of, mostly everything in the theater is done in English, except the show itself. And so, yeah, I had about five weeks. So they gave me, then they gave me a month to learn the Simba. I got to about three weeks in the fourth week. And they wanted to give me an extra week because I was struggling with the, and I think I was struggling with the dialogue purely because when you're in a room, like right now we're talking. And if we had a script between the two of us, it's easy because it's just me and you, but then you have to add in another actor. And then she's talking to you and you don't know how to respond because you've not had this experience yet. And you've got directors watching you and you've got music watching you. It's not so natural. It's not so natural and it's difficult and it becomes very robotic because you don't sound like yourself. Mm. Bless her. One of, one of, uh, one of my, my, my good friends, she, she was, uh, she was, she is an, she's still there today. She is an Alakov and she actually told the directors and so on to get out of the room. And she went through it with me word for word. And I'll never forget her for that. I told her this when I was back doing the show now. I said, I'll never forget what you did for me because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have learned the dialogue properly, how to how to talk to another actor in this language. It's tough, you know, because it's not your language. When it's in English, phew, it's a breeze. Yeah. You know, even though it's written for an American voice, it's still English. So I had, I got to the fourth week they were happy and then they just said, no, no, let's give you an extra week. Let's give you an extra week of rehearsals, which was a godsend. I was really happy about that. The next week, yeah, I did my first day. So I did that extra week of rehearsing. I had a full put in with the whole on. I got really lucky. They, I, I, the old director, he he must have really liked me. <laughs> he, he, we were good friends today. He, he really took to me because he brought in that whole ensemble. He, he was not fucking around. And everybody was there. Everybody. I was like, for little old me? And because in London, it's different. They just bring it. When you're doing a put in, like a dress rehearsal, oh, they just bring in the swings and some covers. So there's holes everywhere. So when you do your first show, you're like, well, you weren't here this afternoon. Now you're here. <laughs> Whereas in, in, in Hamburg, everybody's there and you can, you can feel it. You can see for the scenes. It's really important. And so, yeah, the, the language thing, man. It was real. It's, but again, you go into a place, you go into your mindset, and your mindset is the choice that you, the choice you have is you either you either sink or swim because they're also investing in you. So remember, they're actually investing in you. And so you've got to make sure that your investment is is worthwhile, you know? You've got to make sure that you're doing everything you can. You've got to stay in shape. You gotta eat right. You gotta sleep right. You and so you know you still gotta be human. You gotta party. You gotta let loose. You got, but you're going Tuesday through Sunday. So Monday is your only day off. You know, as you get older, you learn. As you get more experience, you you learn. You know when to go out. So you would rather go out maybe on a Wednesday evening as opposed to Saturday, Friday night because you got doubles on the weekends. Because Thursday shows at eight o'clock, Friday shows at eight o'clock. So you can get more sleep get in the gym, you work out. So 
your mentality's got to be on point. You've got to know what you're going there for, and you're going there for just to learn the show. You've got to give people an experience. Like, like the last thing you want to hear, for example, is I've paid all this money and I couldn't understand what he was saying. Mm. Or I've paid all this money and this one looked tired. Because people feed off your energy. Yeah. I'm not saying that hap- I I don't know what, you know, you always like like you always see the girlfriend who's dragged the boyfriend who hates musicals. You know, you know, but sometimes those guys light up because you you've, you've given them something. So it is it is mental man. It it it, it, it was rough, but you you push through because you have no choice. Yeah. It's not like you can give up and go home to mommy's nice curry and rice at home, which you know all about, right? Mm. You buy, like, like we, you know, we're talking about the price of eggs and bread and stuff. You're buying toilet paper for yourself. You realize how expensive toilet paper is. You know, <laughs> you're buying your own food. You've got to know what you like to eat. You've got to know that you don't have as much time to, like, our mothers cook, man. You understand? Like, in our community, yeah. our mothers, they throw it down. Yeah. It's not like, you know, they throw it down. Yeah. You don't have the time to throw it down. Yeah. Right? So it's all mental. And, and then as the years go on and you make your experiences, and that's in, in a way, thank God to that company because that's how I got back into sports. I wanted to ask you as well, the pressure of going onto a sports field and playing in front of a crowd – or not even a crowd, just playing for, you know, be it a first team at high school, or be it an A-side at varsity. Is there more pressure on stage or on the rugby field? That's a fucking good question. The pressure is different. In, in, can you, can you okay. articulate why or how? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm going to do my best. Let's, let's say, I think, I, I don't, let's, let's talk about the schools, we, we, the school we attach to. Uh, which is which is Bishop Stallison College, and when you play, when you're fortunate enough, because I, you know, we throw this thing around to play. Oh, we got to play first team at school. We're almost twenty years out of school. It's the memory of doing it. It's not. I, I don't. You could not ask me who we beat, who we did this, who we did that. It's just the memory and the, of of having been there, and you know that the Bosch games when you play Ronda Bosch are mm. huge. I mean, in some cases, the second game. Gets fifteen to twenty thousand people sometimes. Ten thousand does. It's a lot of people. You, as an eighteen-year-old or a nineteen-year-old child, can hide very easily when there's fourteen other people in a blue or a white jersey around you. Even as magnified as it is, right? It, it, and to use the theater analogy, you're in an ensemble when you play mm-hmm. sports because you have to it's do it together. Energy. There might only be one ball. There might only be one ball to share between all of us because we've got to work the ball in order to get across the trial line or to get the ball in the hoop. It's not like cricket where it's actually very individual as much as it's a team sport. You've got to contribute to the team. Rugby, you have you everybody's assigned a role to do. You have to hit that ruck there. You have to you have to make that pass or you have to put you know, I played on the outsides, you used to score try. When you're in the ensemble in, in, in the Lion King, yes, you've got to know your line. You've got to know what you're singing so you can help everybody out. But you can hide very easily. You can stop singing, you know, backstage. Your microphone will be on. You can just be quiet and you're not contributing. And then you start, and, and, and this, is a, this is part of the whole team analogy, you start letting down the side because everybody's there to give everybody, somebody else an experience the show. When you're doing 
when you're doing your cover. So when I was doing Simba, for example, that pressure is is very different because if you ha- if you hype yourself up too much, you know how it is because you're an energetic guy. If you overdo it, you know you end up running into a wall. And that's the thing with this. Like sometimes you can lose yourself in in the character because it's an extension of who you are a lot of the time, the character, because he's very, he's very unsure. He's very, he's, he's very jumpy. He's like me talks as when I, when he gets very angry, very easily, you know, but it's all because of certain, certain circumstances that are placed on him. What I, what I learned very quickly when I started the show is the pressure is if when the ensemble believes in you and they do, but they wait until that, until that dress rehearsal, until that dress run, when they, because they're all watching, they all stand in the wings when you sing your solo. That's different because you're not, you're, you're, when you're performing for them and it's just them and there's no audience, that's different because they're listening and they'll, and they're, you know, some of them are brutally honest with you. I mean, brutally honest. But when you're on stage, I always used to feel a bit more comfortable because I always felt that like when there's a smaller group, there, what, when there's 10 people, it's always harder to sing to 10 people. When there's 2,000 people, not everybody's listening to you, especially when the ensemble's behind you. But when you're doing a solo, the pressure is different because you want, you've got to be in tune with the conductor. You know, you've got to make sure that you're listening to the music. You've got to make sure you hit your choreography. You've got to hit your spots. There's lights. There's, and it's, and in some ways, it's like tennis in that way where it's really up to you. It's really up to you. Um, so the pressure is very different. Um, I, I mean, here's a sports analogy that I could probably use better. I was fortunate enough to be a part of a relay team that went to the German Championships in 2016. It's packed, and I, I, I'm not a great starter, but they had me start in the relay. We qualified, and it was great. It was, but that experience is different because <laughs> when you're there, there's a t- there's TV cameras, there's 40 or 50 thousand people. It's a different feeling. Whereas the show, in comparison, it gets 2,000 a night. Okay. So the pressure is very different. It's very, very different. I hope I've articulated it. Does your relationship to the pressure change? Um, for example, um, I spoke to Nick Groom, and he said coming through as a younger guy, the pressure was very much on him to sort of be accepted at first and to overcome the disbelief that everyone had of you know he was always an outsider when he started um oh yeah oh, so God, yeah. you know no one ever backed was, him as yeah. the horse to win the race and he said he was always fighting to prove himself to people and that was very much uh, the the kind of pressure he had because he was always pressurized to live up to the the expectations uh, or to overcome the expectations that he wasn't going to make it um, and then he said once he became an established player that pressure went away because he realized mm. people did believe in, in him. And then the pressure was completely different. The pressure was in maintaining. And he said he almost was more comfortable with the pressure of overcoming the hurdle than maintaining it, which I found fascinating because it's similar like with um, with wealthy people. People who make a lot of money will tell you it's one thing making money. It's nothing keeping the money. Those are two very different skill sets. So I just wondered, did your relationship to pressure change? Did you get more comfortable with it or did, was it always kind of lingering? With, with Groomy, like I always think, because Groomy was so, he's so small, <laughs> you know, hellishly tenacious. Nice guy. I love him to pieces. Very nice guy. 
that I can understand him going through that because, you know, Herschel Junji is the same thing. He's so tiny, so small. And you think like with all these giants around, they're not supposed to make it. And, you know, so I, you know, I, I hear what he's saying. And then the other thing that you just said now about wealthy people, when, when, Sh- when Shaquille O'Neal signed for the Lakers, he wanted like a ridiculous amount of money in his first year. And Dr. Jerry Buss, who was the owner of the, the Lakers at the time, he's passed on, said, you know, Shaq, you can live like a king for a year, but you can live for a prince, live like a prince forever. You know, hold on yeah. to your money. My, re- my relationship to pressure is, well, it depends. It manifests itself very differently. So I think when you're going, th- when, when, when you feel pressurized and you're going through a lot, your, a lot of your vices will come out. So I enjoy a good glass of whiskey. <laughs> okay. Every now and then. When, when it was really on, and I think on in terms of you getting to burnout level because of the pressure, because you're trying to keep yourself going, the more I would find solace in a glass or two. Interesting. Okay. Sounds bad, but it not as, um, it sounds worse. Like, no, oh, I wasn't an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic, people. But you, cause that's your release. Cause you, you really, you, you just want to sit down after the night, you get home. Right. My rela- but I think when I, when I, when I was going through it, especially, especially when, especially when I was doing the show, you know, I became a cast rep that also took on a different pressure because then I was sort of helping the cast with their grievances to, to, to the management. I would then sit in the works council meetings every couple of weeks, you know, things like that. And so your pressure, cause you're learning a whole lot of things also about the dirty side of the business. And it was a good and healthy experience, but also it was a bad experience in that it was detracting me from what I was there to do because you were taking on all everybody else's stuff. I then also remember I, ca- I, ca- I came with baggage. So like when I was in London, London is also a very different, different, different company. Whereas, you know, in Hamburg, you can take three weeks of holiday or four, even a month you get, you get, 32 days over the contract, but it bumps up to 36. Sometimes, you know, you get more and more the longer you've been there. I mean, I think there's a cap. And so in, in London, you don't get as much time off. And so I, I buckled under that, I think, because I was like trying to, I was trying to, to work hard. And I thought working hard just meant doing the show. And I wasn't as attuned to certain things through experience, like making sure I go to the gym, making sure maybe taking a dance class keep active, keep your mind going because that is so important because when you're in a pressurized cauldron all the time, you're doing the show every day, you're doing your job, you're doing it well, but then you're fatiguing, you're mentally tired. You're, so you're pressure, you start pressuring yourself to succeed. And then sometimes you don't find your way out of that, that, that sort of that tunnel. When I was in Hamburg, I think I was trying because I was coming back because they let me go in London because I, because of the pressure, I, I developed a bit of, you know, a bit of, I guess, uh, depression in some way that I would overeat. And then I was getting big. And I mean, I came back from London. I was huge. I was huge. And that, that hurt me. And I think that it then hurt me in the eyes of, of Disney big time. And I didn't realize, you know, there's so much more to, to just the theater than just being in the theater. And I think we come from, country or, or, or we, we were raised to you get up you got to work you know whether regardless of whether you have one day off or not 
Je moet maar werken, kom klaar. That's yeah. it. And when you in these countries, especially, you know, you're here like in London, that's like one of the three biggest cities in the world or whatever. You want to experience London, but you don't get to because you don't have the time because you don't have an outlet. When I started running track in Hamburg, it helped me deal with pressure, the pressure of the show much better. It got me out. It got me to socialize. It got me to be, you know, socialize with other people. Got me to compete again because I wasn't allowed to obviously play rugby because they were like, uh, no, running, yeah, fine, rugby, no. But it was a good, healthy experience for me because I also learned the shitty side of people, yeah. right? I always say that as another, that does sound cliche because you hear about it so much these days, but the reality is in loss and in failure and in bad times, you, you often learn more because you just you have to adapt and you have to change whereas when things are good you just keep doing what you've been doing because things are going well so you don't have to change you don't have to alter the course um, but as soon as things go wrong things are going wrong because things are not lining up either it's something in your behavior or something in the environment has changed and you have to adapt to that um, and if you don't then you aren't going to succeed so it's another one of those things that it's hard for people to swallow but you do learn more in time in bad times than you do in good times. I mean, per, just from a personal experience, I uh, messed around to say the least in my second year of varsity. And I was asked by the UCT law school to kindly not return the following year. And because my marks weren't good enough and they said, but you can go and you can go and join one of the other faculties if they will have you in that moment. So from there I, I started working because my dad said that's it no more uh, riding the the gravy train i've paid for your law studies mm. you haven't made it through financially you're pretty much on your own and through that experience i very quickly woke up to the fact that if i didn't go and finish my degree however i i was going to do it financially i was working at a butler's pizza delivery place first f oh my first God, as a deliveryman yes. and then as a manager And I realized your ceiling is very low, especially in a country like South Africa. Your ceiling is very low if you don't go and get educated. And it was a huge wake-up call for me. And I slowly started changing. Um, look, I didn't get it perfectly right straight away. It did take me another two sure. or so years to really understand the depth of the hole that I was in. And then coming out of that, and interestingly, a friend of mine who's unfortunately no, no longer with us today, he, he, he was almost the catalyst. I started going back to gym and the gym completely changed my mindset. I started feeling better about myself. I started looking at things more positively. And it's interesting that you had, you mentioned going back to the track and running and how that became like a positive outlet for you. And I think it's something that I always say to people, if someone's down in the dumps, there's always two questions that I ask them. Like, what is your sleep like? And what is your exercise like? Mm. And 80% of the time, if not more, the person is not getting enough sleep and not getting enough exercise. And if you can just fix those two things, sure. those are two. Yeah. Look, it's not easy. It's They're simple, but it's not always easy to get those habits and establish them. But it's just practical things that I like to to always bring up. We're talking about pressure. You're also underestimating the relationship to your father. Um, because he's he's 
not a small deal in the law industry in in Cape Town. Was why did you why did you think law was the path because of because of your dad? That's a very good question. So I'm not sure if I uh, my friends have heard about this. I don't think I've ever publicly spoken about it just simply because it's never been asked. I was very keen on studying a BSc, Bachelor of Science in more physiology and those the kind of things. I was much more interested in anatomy and the human body and and I was actually thinking about going down the master's routes to get into like something for with forensics or genetics. Genetics really actually was I think where I wanted to go. And then on registration day, my second choice was law. And I sat down and in a moment of sheer panic, I changed my first choice to my second choice because I my, my the voice in my head, which I think was my dad's voice. And look, I must take – my dad wasn't standing there over me, pressuring me to do it. So I must yeah, also take yeah, responsibility yeah. To, to some extent of this. Um, but I just heard the word saying, can you make money from this thing? And as a young person, that unfortunately, especially going through the private school system, that's very much an expectation. You go to university, you go and get a job. How much are you earning? What, what's your salary? What do you do? And that game started running off yeah. my head and I flipped and I changed the law. And look, the first year of law, I did, I enjoyed it. Second year, I started becoming a little bit disillusioned. It wasn't what it, what it, thought it would be but I could have made it through I could have finished my law degree the problem was is slowly but surely the wheels of my life started coming off so the big one was actually the the rugby so I was playing rugby for the under 20 B side at UCT and then I got an injury and it wasn't a rugby injury it was a party injury I was out uh, jawling which is partying for those people who don't know what it means a, a girl slipped and fell and me being pissed, trying to be the hero, tried to stop her from falling. So I, I stood in behind her. She bumped me. She bumped me, and I was kind of knocked off balance. And I put my hand out to stop my fall, and I went straight into a pile of glass, and just cut open my hand, severed my tendon in my right thumb, and rolled up into my wrist. I was rushed to the ER and had an operation, and everything. So I was out of the rugby season, and I didn't realize how much of a crutch I had allowed rugby to become to let, release all my stress and all my, and also it kept me on the straight and narrow. So practice three times a week game on Saturday, very much a routine. Wasn't look on Saturdays after the game, because I was playing B side Babros at UCT. Um, we'd have fines and we'd have like often big Saturdays, but you know, big Saturday recover on Sunday, back to varsity on Monday and on very Monday. strict Monday through Saturday. So it was very militant. And as soon as that went away, then the routine disappeared. And with the routine that disappeared, my life just started falling into tatters. And then I stopped going to lectures because I didn't have to be at campus for rugby practice. And slowly but surely, um, things went wrong for me. And then drinking didn't help. I started drinking more. And I think it was because I was bleak that I couldn't play rugby. So I was filling the void. Yeah, and then all these things happened. And before I knew it, I was failing law school. I think I would have been a, a decent lawyer but part of me also, you know, I should have stuck with my first choice. But then again, all of these things happen. If these things don't didn't happen, then I don't meet my wife. Then I, so sure. it's very difficult. I just, so I don't. Well, yeah, th that's I what I say. Regret. No, no. Sorry to cut you. I, I mean, 
That's what I said. I, I think I I look back and this, you know, I did the show for seven years. I'll say eight because I just did it now. So over, overall, I did it eight years, okay? If I had to do it again, I would have gone to Singapore first, okay? That might not have taken me to London. That might have taken me somewhere else. If I had turned down or, or if I had turned down Hamburg and said, no, no, I'd rather do the Australasian tour, I would have done that. But, you know, it's true. You know, you think first. I thought also, you know, you think about the travel aspect when you do certain things, when you get into your career. Uh, London was an easier place for, for my family to come to versus going to Singapore. Not that you're going to see them every week, but, you know. So you you, you think about, oh, had, had I had to do it over again, or the pressure, and then you forget how important sports is because we are conditioned to play sport couple of times a week because that was part of our lives it still is i mean now i've started i've just started working out again okay today i had a rest day and i know tomorrow i've got to get on it you know 45 minutes to an hour cardio let's do it because that's me feeling more comfortable it's me dealing with my anxiety it's me dealing with my student depression because i'm at home at the moment i look after my, my child she runs around these are these things and the importance of an outlet a sport music uh, and you're so right. Had I not come to Hamburg, I wouldn't have met my wife. Um, I wouldn't have, we wouldn't be living where we are now. I had not met my wife. Um, I wouldn't have experienced it. In country. So I get what you're saying. We're so conditioned. And, and please, bishops, don't think we're slagging you off. We're not, we're not blaming you. But I think the high pressure society, I, I didn't come from an affluent family. I don't come from one. That to work for every pound, rand, dollar I have, or euro I have. There are lots of others who didn't have to do that. There are lots of others who, you know, and God bless them for it. But we were conditioned because of the community, you know, communities we come from, that we've had to earn the right to sit at the table. Mm. And when we've gone through stuff, so imagine if somebody came to you and said, Stacey, you're fucking up here. How much that conversation would have changed your life forever because you probably would have turned around, now you'd write. You might not have met your wife. You might not be in South Korea. You, you might have become a lawyer. Who knows? You might have kicked on and become a, a, pro, a pro player. We don't know. But we forget the importance of an outlet. Get up, fresh air. Because sports is so great. Um, I mean, I never played water polo, so I was not keen on training in the, in the, in the winter under that damp dome or something. But the, how nice it is to be out on the field with your mates. I mean, I coached you, I think you, when you were in the thirds and the camaraderie that you, how many of those people do you still probably talk to today versus those that you speak to in, from your professional life? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it, it's, you know, having the outlet is important. Having, you know, but also have, being around people who understand your needs right now. Also, yeah. when we're talking about Greg, uh, Greg Mallet, bless him. He's gonna, you know, he's about to marry into something that's huge. But he's got his outlet, which is, I hope you, I hope you're gonna yeah, get yeah. him on here. We've already, uh, already spoken about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Oh, listen, yeah, him too. I got some story about him too, but not now. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, these outlets are important. And, and a lot of the time, also what we forget to do, and, and this is what I've been going through recently, if I'm brutally honest, is 
I'm always projecting out like all my fears and all my other shit out there and not thinking about what it is that I need in order for me to succeed. You know what I mean? So we, we, we push all our shit out there because we worry about the price of eggs. We worry about the fuel price next week. Okay. I have to, I, I like eggs. So I've got to eat eggs. I've got to buy eggs. That's not a problem that I have to deal with. It's, it's there. It's part of me making rent. It's part of, we have to do it. The problem becomes in those extra luxuries. Do I need that piece of chocolate? Do I need that glass of wine or that bottle of wine? Or do Because we're projecting this image of what we used to have and we can just slim it down and say, what do I actually need right now to thrive? And I think that's what you probably went through because, and maybe it's a blessing in disguise. You cut your hand open, you, you lose the you lose the fraternity that is that team, but you've gone on to do great things. And I think, I think this is what we forget. We forget, like I forget this a lot. Like that show changed my life. It's taken me to places I probably never would have thought I would ever get to in my life. It's brought me to a country. I didn't, I didn't want to come. I didn't want to come to Germany. I'll tell you, I'll be brutally honest with you. I didn't want to come here because I was so adamant that I didn't want to do this fucking show in another language. Fucking hell. You can ask me right now, Stacy. I'll tell you this. I didn't want to come to this country and I've been here almost 10 years. I'm 10 years here in July. Interesting. Eh? Right. Because I made a life for them, you know, and, and that's what's led me on this, this kind of path. And then here's a fucked up thing, analogy. So our car is at the workshop. We're not going to get it back until they've, it's a Honda. So, you know, they've got to find a part from a part from it. It's not like Toyota where you can just break off the one part, like put it in another's, you know, Honda. But what we're learning to is, is we live, so we live in the sticks. We live here on the mountain. We have to walk to the bus now, or somebody gives us a lift. You start appreciating that kind of thing of not mm. having a car of now I've got to carry the groceries. It's 800 meters up where we live. It's far, right? But you got to make it work. And, and that mentality, that mental shift where you have to make yourself realize, I've got to do this, otherwise I yeah. won't survive because I need yeah. to survive. That was the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I think, quite similar in your situation. My family didn't come from excessive wealth. My dad's father was a farmer in the Eastern Cape and not like a mega farmer, just a kind of small holding type farmer mm. so nothing extravagant there and then my mom obviously as we said was a colored lady big family of 14 so not a lot of prosperity yeah not a lot of prosperity was there no there was no tv no, no, and also clearly. catholics so no <laughs> no contraception, contraception zero contraception Four. so i mean yeah so Going back to what you said, you know, so I always felt as if I had to work for everything. And then I'd never experienced real failure um, because I think mm -hmm. both my parents were always that hardworking attitude. And I, the crazy thing for me is I didn't fail at law school because I wasn't capable of doing the work. I failed because I think it was the first time things came unstuck for me in a real way and I didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. talking about a blessing in disguise, I'm almost grateful that it happened when I was, how old was I, 21 years old? Because at 21, you're able to lose everything 
and come back and and mm-hmm. change. Whereas if you if that happens to you at forty and you've got a family and you've never experienced hardship, it's a much more difficult conversation or experience to have. So that experience taught me a shit ton of resilience as well, which I've been able to carry through in every other aspect of my life, which is something that I don't I never ever shy away from and look down on, on that experience because of that resilience. It's helped me when I competed as doing bodybuilding. It's helped me now when I studied for CFA. It's helped me moving overseas and dealing with a new culture and new environment. Um, so in the long run of life, it was it was really cuck at the time when it happened. But in the stretch of, of life, it's I think it's going to be a far more positive force. Every bump is there for a reason. So it's like what pushed me out of the door in Hamburg in general was uh, I was told that the director didn't like me, for example. Nothing to do with my job. Nothing to do with am I performing? She just didn't like me. And this is when I go back to the whole thing of the business and the outlet and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I said, well, if you don't like somebody, I I read something interesting the other day and it's like, you know, this, the CEO, she says, in the board of, of about 10 people, she's got five people that she doesn't really get along with and five people she does because she wants disparity, she wants fair, she wants. So that's good for her. If you don't like somebody or something, you have to change it. And this was a personal decision. It was a personal call. There was nothing. Nobody else agreed with the call. But, you know, this is the man who gets to make decisions. And in some ways, that was my bump. That was my speed bump because it was like it was all going so well. And, you know, this is around the time that my now wife and I were discussing getting out of that because, you know, you, you perform till late at night. You have no weekends. You have one day off. Is this really live? Yeah, it's a great paycheck. And God, I missed the paycheck. But I'm going to make that back somewhere else. I'd rather have a life. I'd rather watch my child grow up and be home for that. But bathe her, take her to school, learn some new skills, get and create an outlet. But these speed bumps are there. Exactly for that. Did you build this resilience? That you build this, you know. And and I said, God bless the dead before we started. You know, you 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 had a, a loss that nobody saw coming. And that, the way you guys moved through that phase, it was hard. Mm. I, I don't. I'm I'm very blessed. I, I'm 36 years old. I have both my parents. Some people can't say that. Some people, you know, I have a brother who, you know, who's, who lives in Perth. You have to, you have a brother and a sister. That resilience, that that buildup of all that stuff, it leads you through the stuff, your career, your life, everything. So when I was doing the show, there was times where it was horrible. There was times where I was, where I was probably mentally drained there was times where I was probably I never performed the show drunk I never did that but you know there was times where you're nursing a little bit of a hangover because you 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 want to escape you take the show for granted that's what I 
what what probably I was going through and what I saw when I got back now even in these 10 weeks. You, you see people taking the show for granted because it's easy. It's easy. There was, uh, so, you know, some of my colleagues, oh, it's just Wednesday night show, you know, save myself for the weekend. The fuck you say? You have to kill yourself every night, basically. But also you've got to remember you're doing sometimes 13-month contract, 14-month contract, 15-month, 17-month. And this resilience that you build up, and you're so right, you've got to have that outlet. And I'm so glad you brought up the bodybuilding because, bruh, for real, though, like, just it. I explained this to, to us here, the bodybuilding, because you, you've you always been, in my view, you're a good-looking man. Uh, your body's always kind of been in shape. What was that about? Because I know your sister also at a yes. time she did something similar. What was that about? Was what was was that more just about? Hey, this is a different competition. Or is this something of? Actually, you know, I got something to show here. Is this a little bit of, bit of me here? A little bit of that fucking see me, man. So it was predominantly. I had a knee injury. Uh, in when was it? Twenty. 20 oh i don't i don't remember i had a knee injury though that that was severe i had a bad acl injury and and i've spoken about this before um but essentially i after my first op i've had a second one recently but after my first op i never felt 100 percent confident on my on my knee and so when i'd play sports like touch rugby or five-a-side soccer or squash my knee always felt dodgy and i think it's because i i didn't take my rehabilitation seriously enough the first time around and as a result i found that in the gym my knee felt 100 percent always so um i think i found confidence in the gym and then i'm a very competitive person so yeah i remember for, for me it was like what can i do in the gym that's competitive. And I didn't want to do powerlifting because I don't like, I just don't like that style of training. I don't like that, like super heavy lifting. It's just, yeah, it's just not my cup of tea. But then the bodybuilding side, I just thought it was, too, it was just always fascinating to me. It seemed very extreme. And so I wanted to see the biggest part of it was looking at, the, looking at it and saying, can I actually do that? Can I, be disciplined enough and go through a cycle of eating properly, training properly. And then, yeah, that, that was mainly what it was. But as I've said before, it has to be, in my opinion, maybe basketball is another one in terms of high level bodybuilders. They are, or there is such a tiny group of people that can ever succeed purely because of genetics. The genetic factor yeah. is you, like you don't realize it until you've actually competed. Like I, I joked about this on one of the previous podcasts. There was a guy that I competed against in my second show. And look, not saying this to knock the guy or anything, but I just want to put it into perspective. He was from an underprivileged background. So he didn't even have the right um the right competitive shorts to wear because they're quite expensive. And so I'm assuming that he didn't have access to those shorts. So incredible physique though. And speaking to young guys, well, much younger than I was speaking to him about his training, about his nutrition, wasn't doing everything nearly optimally yet 
probably was top three in terms of how he looked out of out of the guys standing there. Just f- perfectly full muscle bellies, um, symmetrical abs, big full biceps, balanced everything, just balanced, perfect structure. So all that guy needed was a financial backer to pay for his training, his dieting, if he wanted to, his steroids as well. And he would have been he would have been blowing people out of the water. And that's what I realized quite quickly. I don't have the the genetic structure to be a competitive bodybuilder. I'm too narrow at the top. My abs aren't symmetrical. It was an interesting process to go through to to learn that there are limits to to what you are capable of. Because you know, when you're a young person, your parents tell you or your or your community tells you, oh, you just put your mind to something, you can do it. Um, if you yeah, want to be been putting my mind to winning the lot over the longest time, but <laughs> And I think <laughs> yeah. the only other sport that I can compare to that is is probably basketball because of the height factor. There's just at that level of the game, at the top end of the game, how many p- players are under under six foot? Not that many. Um, not that many. No. Yeah, not that many. And I just think, yeah, it, it was it wasn't about a, it wasn't about a, a mental or a physical like uh insecurity thing at all it was it actually i felt more insecure when i was bodybuilding than i did before because i knew that people were looking at me being like what the fuck is this like doing <laughs> um so it actually became you know, it, it became almost m- more of a mental challenge once i was in it because people don't understand the choice because you you know i'm not speaking to everyone about why i'm doing it and and it's extreme. But, but that yeah yeah but there you go so there's the same thing that me in college like not everybody not everybody's meant to be a, a principal ballerina or ballerina right uh well principal man not everybody's meant to be the first cast symbol not everybody's meant to be the, the opening bowler for the Proteus. Not everybody's meant to be Siakulisi because, it's, I mean, literally, I wouldn't want to be under that microscope. Not everybody can be Michael Jordan. Not everybody can be Usain Bolt. And you're sorry, it's the genetic thing. And, so, and and a lot of that is what what I've learned. And everybody's, everybody's I don't know if this has happened to you. It's like, oh, you're so talented. A man of talents. You're fucking old. Talent against talent and hard work. Talent and hard work wins. All the time. All the time. You can have a talent for chess, but you can have talent chess and practice. You know, and and that's and that's part of what what our molding was probably not very good at, because people never actually thought about. Well, in order for this child to succeed, okay, you're right. We weren't born six feet five, one hundred kilos, can run a hundred meters in less than 10 seconds that's that's freakish i mean that is crazy but also look but but look at what you do bring to the table you work hard you might not be a competitive bodybuilder at the top end of the of the ronnie coleman crap but you've prepared to put in the effort to do it and i think this is what what we're, what we're escaping right because there are people with a genetic position. Uh, in fact, there's a guy who works backstage in one of the theaters. Six foot ten. He's six ten, big boy. He didn't want to pick up a basketball. 
Let's play volleyball. I don't want to play sports. I'm not interested in it. There's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. Come and play rugby. No, it's too rough. You know. Okay. I mean, if you think that's rough. But what we what we don't do is we don't say, hey, you know, you've got to have a little bit of a gift. And you do have a gift. We all do. But what do we do with that gift? So that gift is, first of all, and we're, what, what we're basically saying is, if you take care of your body, your body will take care of you. So I can be the I can I can honestly be the best musical theatre performer or a track runner, whatever. But if I don't take care of what I need to take care of, I'm not going to succeed. You know, and 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 I think it's it's so much so that, and then you're not enjoying it. And when you, I always think if you don't work hard, you never enjoy something quite as much. And I and I tell my players this now. Because this team that I've taken over, there was there's a lot of you know old coach, new coach mentality. There's a lot of mm, do we trust this guy. You know me, I'm big on touch rugby. Play a lot of touch rugby. Do a lot of ball skills. We do very little contact. I mean, we do it, but it's intense for those few for that half hour or so. You know, I'm not. I don't. I don't like the guys breaking themselves. Even though we've had a broken collar in training, but I'm not. You know, and I think I always said to them, guys, why do you come to training? No, nah, it's because because we 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 like being outside. So, what does practice do? And there was a there's a there's a there's a video I had, and this guy used to be walking around. He says, "What is what is practice?" And the audience answers, "Practice makes perfect." So get rid of that belief system. Practice makes better because there's no such thing as perfect. Right, we're having these debates in soccer right now. Goats, the greatest of all times. Is Ronaldo the greatest? Is Messi the greatest? It's the stupidest argument ever. Yeah, they're 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 born roughly a year or two apart. Their careers are incredible. What it's all down to folklore and personal opinion. Again, you have it in basketball. You have it. Unfortunately. It's not so simple because what you have to do is you have to maximize that talent to get better. In order for you to get better, what do you need? So like you're saying, this guy, he needs a backer. If he wants to take roids, he's going to need money for that. If he wants to be in the gym or his nutrition or whatever he eats. You, on the other hand, you're seeing it as a competitive outlet that you don't want to take further than what I need to take it because you're not interested in that. And if you were interested in that, by God, you'd be at the top end of it. And that's all it is, is if you take the talent plus the hard work plus the resilience and all the shit and the baggage that we go through, you will make it somewhere. I think I would have, I could have done better if I'd had a coach. That was my biggest, I don't want to say, it wasn't a regret because I just financially at the time I was a university student. I couldn't afford a a, a full-time bodybuilding coach. But I just think having a coach that knew what he was doing, especially in terms of posing, because posing is not something that is comes naturally when you're a bodybuilder. You have to practice. It's 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 a routine. It's, it's a routine. routine, and it's. I'm trying to think of a good way to say it. It's something that is so underrated. People don't understand how important the presentation is of the body of the physique up there. It's as important as your. You can have the best body, but if you look like an idiot up there and you don't have stage presence and charisma and all those things. You don't win the show. So, and I think that was also a bit, a bit of my problem. I, d- I wasn't, I didn't have 
I didn't have an understanding of how important those factors were. And there was also, so I did explain this recently as well. Um, I was preparing for my third show when my mom passed away. And when my mom passed away, I obviously took my foot of the gas for the show. Um, I had priorities, had to take care of, yeah, of yeah, the family and, and, yeah, and, that, yeah. and that kind of thing. And then it was, again, I think a very important moment for me because it, when everything, when everything stopped, and I and I was able to look with a different perspective at what I was doing as a bodybuilder, I realized that I was polluting my body because I was using performance enhancing drugs. The reflection of what I was a healthy, in shape person versus the reality of what is actually going on inside my physiology, those two things freaked me out. The like, I was telling, trying to promote health and fitness but i'm not being healthy and fit and so i felt that like a big fraud and a hypocrite so uh, but it was only because i had that moment of distancing myself from from prepping for a show and it only happened as a result of losing my mom Mm. and yeah when you when i was in it and going through the the motion i i was just tunnel vision i didn't have that perspective and that moment actually gave me the perspective and i realized I I want to be 70 years old, 80 years old, being able to walk and lift. I don't want to damage my body to the extent that some of these guys go through. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it it's, yeah, it's just strange. Like life often just hands you or has handed me these moments of reflection and it always seems to have, I've always ended up better on the other end or found a different way. So, yeah, I mean, just- but that's, but that's, and, and, and that is what it, that's what it really is. And I think that's what it's boiled down to for me is, as, as a, as a, as a performer. And I think, like you say, you know, you want to win the show in a way, get, getting there. Sure. You're saying, oh, I took PEDs. Because that's what everybody else is doing. Nobody taught you any better, and you're trying to win. You're trying to win something, or win respect, or gain the respect of others. And, and I think a lot of what we don't do is we don't give ourselves enough credit, right? So you you you're doing the one thing that 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 everybody else, including myself, we just we, you know. I always used to say when people say, "Oh, you did a great show tonight," or "You did a great performance," and I always just say, "I try." Instead of saying thank you and taking the compliment, you're, 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 you're literally just blanking away from yourself and saying, because you don't want to sound arrogant. And I think that's also part of our psyche as human beings. We don't want to sound arrogant. Because I've learned to start saying when people say, oh, you did this really good. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. I know I do. Because it's a fact. I do it well. I, and, I, and I try to do it to the best of my ability every day. When Even when I'm coaching, I try to give the guys as the best one and a half, two hours of me that they can get. And sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I don't want to smile. Sometimes I'm tired of the drive. It's a three-hour round trip. You just, but you don't give yourself enough credit for the effort that you're putting in. And that's what we do. We always, always make ourselves feel small when we don't need to be. And Stacey, frankly, you don't have any energy to make yourself feel smaller than you are. You're a short person. (laughs) Do you know what's fascinating about that as well is – also, again, recently in, in, in chatting to someone, talking about the fact that, you know, what is, I think you also got to know what enough means for you. 
there's got to be a point you've got to you've got to be comfortable with saying this is it for me if you don't do that i think you start going in some very strange dark places chasing something that that is unattainable uh let me give a concrete example concrete example Mm. so uh we were specifically talking about endurance running and just saying to him you know when is it okay to say I've run 200 endurance races now. That's enough. I need to actually mm. think about my longevity of my body and what my knees and my joints are going to look like in 20 years' time. Um, but it's difficult when you're in it because once the bug has bitten you and you you finish the race and the, the way that you feel, you want to run another one because yeah. the dopamine cycle yeah. is now kicked in. And yeah. so, yeah, you've got to know when to extract yourself from situations as well um so it's, yeah it's all fair and well to to do it's, these things and enjoy these things but it's also good to know when is enough's enough well this I, th- I think i think so some of my colleagues so the show has been the lion king hamburg has been there for 21 years one of the one of the performances performers who is still on stage today has been there since the year dot yo year dot brah that man ate, they, they fucking fool. He's um, Sazu. He's been there since, for 21 years. Now, that's a testament to his longevity. That's a testament to a lot of things. But ask him. Ask him. And I do this a lot. Because maybe because I got out of the game and, I, and I, I took the plunge. Yeah, it's not been easy. It's It really hasn't been easy. I'd love to say that I walked out of the show and it's been, it's been a fucking slide into something great. It hasn't, you know, it hasn't been simple, but I ask a lot of them. So what's next? What are you going to do next? Or what, 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 what else do you want to do? Use the show as a tool for you to get somewhere else or do something else. And a lot of them will look at me and say, I, I don't know. Cause you that's know, dangerous. Doing, that was always, that's so dangerous because you get complacent. Do you know that your comfort this is a thing that, this is a thing that fascinated me about speaking to sports people, like professional sports people. So many of them kind of said that you get wrapped up into your career and then it's contract here, contract there, and then you rub your eyes and you're 33 yeah. years old and you're like, shit, now what? The ones, the, the sports people that I've spoken to that have found the transition away from sports to be easier are those that started thinking about a life after sports almost while their career was starting in sports, already thinking. Oh to yeah, I, I, I listened to what Kyle, I listened to what Kyle said. Yeah, I listened to what Kyle said because he's he's he was one of them. You can't let your identity just become wrapped into that one thing because once that identity is destroyed, and it's going to be destroyed because a sports career is only so long. You need to have Plan B, and yeah, you it's it's so important to know what's next. I think. As as we yeah as we wind down yeah we'll go we on could go on for hours and you know we I don't want the people to be like you know what Stacy you spoke to William for almost three hours <laughs> and you know, it's crazy as we you know as we hit the home stretch I think I think it's so you're so right because because I think what what opened my eyes in particular is when I met my wife because I would never have thought about a life outside of the show if I'd never started talking about oh this 
oh, the, I, I'd love to do this. I, I said I wanted to go back and play. I did always said I wanted to go back and play. And I started again at 32 and it, because, you know, I have I had a friend, I have friends here who got me back in the game, got me back in the sport. Uh, it was so much fun training as a, also learning to train as a professional, like every day, th- four days a week, two training sessions on, on Monday, on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, easy, you know, Wednesdays off, Friday, half day type thing. So that you get into that mole, it was so great. It was such a great experience. Unfortunately, shit went down. That shouldn't have had to go down the way it did, but it did, okay? You know, that's also the fickleness of sports. Funding gets pulled. It's not an exact science. And you're so right what you're saying. You get to a point where you're going from contract to contract. You've got to find a new team or you got to, you know, in, in our case, in, in my case as a musical performer, I could, I could, if I wanted to, ask and say, hey, I'd love to go to the U.S. tour. You know, is there a way they could make a way because you, maybe that's the experience that you need or I needed was maybe to get into a different company um, or go back to London or try and get into Broadway, you know, because the Broadway contracts are on a play contract. So, <clears throat> you know, you can have a job for life. But is that a good thing? Again, is that a good thing? There are possibly and this is this is what I notice here in this country that, you you know, you get a. I mean, I suppose a lot of countries have it. You get an unlimited contract after a certain amount of time. They can't fire you unless. What that does do is it creates such complacency and it creates such uh, old mentalities where people are like, no, this is how it should be. And we're going to, you know, the age old argument when, when I was in the show is like something would break and we'd say, listen, if you just take two weeks, fix everything. It's like, oh, no, show's been running for 15 years. Why do we want to fix it? Or, Okay, <laughs> one of the actors falls in a hole one day. You're going to ask yourself that question, right? So we we get too comfortable. We get into positions and we get into a place where we think, let me just stay in this donut and I'll be fine. And that was what it was becoming. And I think in a way, as pissed off as I was that my Simba got taken away from me, that was the push for me to say, all right, there's, there's more to this life than here. Now I could have been there, and if I'd been, if I'd stayed, I'd be there for ten years now. You know, and uh, it would have been okay. It would have been fine. You're earning money, and and I think that's also the other thing is you're earning this money. You, you, you're putting on a show. You're there, but my problem is I would start to nitpick at things because I'm a detail orientated person, right? As you remember, so I look at the small shit, and I'm always like. My fucker, why are you walking on the fucking stop walking? There's an audience. Or like, why are you playing around? And then when I realized that was some people's way of making the show within the show fun for themselves, it makes the daily easier. And I think we get so complacent we don't think about the next thing. And we st- stuck in the here and now and living for the moment, and that's good. But it's not a necessary uh end result that, that everybody needs. Because not everybody's going to find their dream job. To line that up with with what you're saying, I think something that I've really come to terms with in the last, I would say, two years is that there's both an outcome and there's a process, mm-hmm. and you need to be aware of both. And I uh, like, I mean, I just, for me personally, I've done meditation, especially recently. I've got a daily meditation practice, so. I've only just really come to terms with how important it is that I do it. It's when I stop doing it that I realize how much power it has. 
And, mm. and I just, I think that what it's allowed me to do is it's allowed me to enjoy setting goals. Example, I want to do a marathon or something that I'm, I'm planning to do. Uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be cheering for you from the start. <laughs> and then That's damn sure. also realizing that that marathon is just a moment in time. It's going to happen over the course of a few hours on a day and then it's done. Mm. More important really is the process of training for the marathon and enjoying the suck that is going to often happen on some of those training runs and, and really embracing that day to day training and process. And I think you have to combine those things together. I think what ha- sometimes happens is either, pe- either people get too sucked into the now and forget about the future. And that's the kind of person who wakes up at 35 is like, Oh shit, my rugby career is over now. I don't know where I'm going. And then you get the person who's, who's always thinking about, well, when I achieve this, then I'll do that. When I make my first million, I will take my family on a vacation. When I get my first big bonus, I'll, I'll buy a new car. You know, And then you're always living for tomorrow. You, don't, you never actually enjoy the process of the day. And I think what I've realized in the last two years is bringing those two worlds together. Enjoy the moment, but also work towards the outcome, but don't get lost in the outcome. And it, I think sure. meditation is has really allowed me to like see that. I used to be very much a, like a, a dreamer. I always used to think only future and kind of forget about the moment. And I've been able to put those two worlds together. And I, I just think it's so important. You have to fall in love with the process of becoming great. 100%. I recent, well, I say recently, it's, it's actually almost been, it's been over a year now. I, I got a personal trainer's certificate. Just personally, I was interested in learning more about nutrition and anatomy. And I, I, I love the gym. And I realized <laughs> studying it was quite a quite a hack. It was very intensive, way more intensive than I thought it would be. And I realized you have to fall in love with the boring shit. Because yeah. if you can't, you that's where you like you give up or you walk away from something. You gotta fall in love with the grind. I mean it's, it's cliche and you hear it all around, but it's so true. It, it sounds sound stupid. stupid. It sounds it sounds stupid, but you know what? It's like um, uh, I, I I started learning to love yeah. rehearsal. You have to. You have to. Um, you know, like Michael Jordan, would, you know, what? one of the things that I took away from the last dance, which I'm watching again for about the 10th time. Um, yeah, look, I, I think the man is, he's fucking crazy. <laughs> but he, he said, I love practice. Because that's where you come to get better. You get to hone your skills. You get to pull your teammates together. I love that. And it sounds so tedious, running through drills. I used to think like, and, 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 and this was the thing. When I, when, I, when I got the opportunity to train with the team in, in, in Heidelberg, I started learning to love the drills and learning to love that. Why do I, you know, when you get older, you that why do I follow through on the past instead of just letting it go? And you know, when I was when I was at dance school, I probably would have, if I fell in love with the idea of why what ballet is doing to me, because it made me so much better. I mean, I, I also had an ACL, MCL, LCL tear. I did it all. I had a whole reconstruction. All that work, rehabbing, all of that. I didn't fall in love with it. I just wanted to get back. Because I was in such a rush to get back, right? Whereas if I learned to fall in love with, 
hey, this is actually good for me. This is the work. Now, when people tell me they have leg injuries or they struggle with this, I always say, why don't you go find a ballet teacher and a Pilates class or just something along those lines? And people are like, why? Because so, well, A, you learn strength, you, you, you body weight, the body weight work and how good that is. You know, one day when I'm coaching with the spring box, I'm going to implement ballet class so that for the forwards. It's the, it's the it's the it's the strength that you find. It's the muscles that you're working for. You know, going through each part of your legs. It it's sustained me till now. I've never had a problem with my knee ever again. And so you've got to fall in love with that process of trying to get back because that then shifts the mentality. One of the, yeah, probably the last thing I'll say on this is going back to the personal training example. I often see people online asking you know like i'm really struggling with motivation like i need some inspiration can anyone like kind of help me to to get motivated and again it's not what people want to hear because it's boring it's not sexy the fact of the matter is motivation and inspiration are not what create champions champions aren't created of motivation inspiration champions are created of discipline and habits and facts like You've, and the only way that you are going to establish a routine or a habit or a discipline is going back to what you said, is falling in love with the process of developing a habit structure, finding ways. And look, it's not going to be the same for everyone. So you have to, you have to know yourself well enough to understand what it's going to take for you to enjoy doing whatever it is that you do. At the moment, I'm studying and sometimes it's a bit boring. And when I catch myself being like, oh, this is boring, I don't want to do this, I try and remind myself that at the end of this learning session, I'm going to acquire a tool set that I didn't have beforehand, and that is fucking awesome. And so that's how I've convinced myself to to love studying is because I'm learning. I'm blessed in the fact that I'm healthy enough to sit and learn. And and that's, you know, so... I've been going through the coaching process now. World Rugby Level 2, you've got to do also the coaching process here. And you always think, because you know, you know, that's not exactly the greatest rugby nation in the world. Biggest rugby, not great. Sorry, the biggest, right? So you think you have more knowledge. And it's funny, you don't. You don't. And you learn more when when you actually go, let me get receptive to this. Mm. How's this going to help me improve? And when I improve... What's this going to do for X, Y, and Z? And that's the thing. So you have to fall in. You come away with a skill every day, yeah. you know. And that, and that, and that's, and that's what it was for me. Yeah, that's what it was for me. And and you never know. That, like I say, the I've said this before to some people. They would say, mm, "Would you ever go back?" I said, "The doors never closed to that." I would have to think about the process again. I was having coffee with my friends. And they knew how I was when I was in the company full time. So they were like, oh, you've only got an hour with us. Is that going to be enough time? Because you've got to go and warm up. And I was like, I'm not that bad anymore. Calm down. <laughs> Just relax. I'm only here for a short time. And and they were like, really? And I was like, I'm here for 10 weeks, really. I'm here for two months. Let me do the job for two months. Because I knew that there was an end in sight so that I could look forward to the next thing. And I think that's what was important. And I think that's what we forget. So like you're saying, you're studying now. You're doing this thing. I'm going to learn something in these two hours. And I'm going to move on to the next thing. 
because that's part of what motivation I've set for myself. Like tomorrow, my motivation is to do an hour of insanity. Right, cool. That's what it is. That's the workout for tomorrow. And then I'll, I'll work on the next thing. Or, you know, I'm here with my child. So I've got to play or do this or that. Got to just go to the next thing. And that's, and that's the thing. Yeah. Musical performer, athlete, artist, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're crunching the numbers. Just focus on, yeah, you've got to do what you've got to do now, but you've got to know that there's got to be a next thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's been great, Will. As we said, Brother. we could talk for, geez, for hours and hours. Um, but I don't think the the listeners would appreciate us talking for another two hours. <laughs> no, no, they would. They wouldn't. I don't think. I don't think my family would appreciate no. us talking for another no. two hours. Um, but it's it's been it's been awesome. Just also just get you know just talk. I yes. think you know even though we we started on a path and we've gone off into other paths. And, yeah. But I hope that you know we got to do this again. Yes. Um, we got to do this again, and and you know. Uh, I'm grateful. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. fun catching up, talking. And it's, you know, it's what I love, what I always love is that we're just talking about things that we're going through. And maybe somebody hears it and they go, you know what, that's all right. Or I've been going through this. We're not trying to inspire you to do so. We just, we, we, we understand what you're going through because we're going through it too. And we're just getting to say it. So thanks. Thanks for having me yeah. on, man. And, and for allowing us, for allowing me to, to, to chat and, yeah. and it's it's good man yeah, i think a lot of times i think about you know why i'm doing this whole thing and conversations like this always get back to really what i want to do is just having conversations with people because i've learned in my 33 years on this planet that if you humble enough to open yourself to the opportunity that you will learn from every conversation that you have you end up having some pretty damn awesome conversations and you don't need like a lot of people have said to me you know um you should get x person on you should speak to this person you speak to that person the fact of the matter is i'm interested in speaking predominantly to people who've got a background in sports because that's something that i i can connect with them on sure but just anyone really because if you open yourself up to listen and Go in with a mindset that you're going to learn something from them. Um, you always do, and yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to do. You know, like I, I just hoping that through conversation, I'm learning something from you that I don't that I haven't thought about in a certain way, and that maybe sparks off a perspective change for somebody that didn't see it that way. And so through my learning process, people might go through the process of learning on themselves. That's, that's all, that's what it's about. You know that, and, and, and that's, that's brilliant. And I, and I think for those that, those who take the time to listen and, and have taken the time to listen to us, I think that's so important because I interviewed Nizam and it was, it was great. And then it was like, Oh, who else can we get on? And it's like, and he mentioned explain, explain, explain. And it's like, I don't know if I'm ready to talk to you know that kind of, that guy or you know but maybe you know we all want to grow and learn and so on and, and get through stuff but you're so right it's learning from the everyday me and use it's learning from people who who might be doing extraordinary things but are just not in the spotlight and i think that's that's important because there's so many special people that we just don't even know about 
that are just they, they don't want to be they don't want to have a, a, a spotlight shone on them they're, they're happy to tell their story and talk and maybe you know you get some engagement from this or that but sometimes they just want to tell their story in a way that is not on a world stage or in front of them or on these you know on these big bigger platforms and this and this is also what what is great for yeah for the little man you know so thank you you keep going my man i appreciate no you go and I've save your family <laughs> catch up But soon we'll catch up Cheers, soon man. <laughs> ciao. ciao bro as we come to the end of this episode of speaking to stacy i want to say a big thanks for listening all the way through i hope that you have found some valuable insights from my conversation with will before you go i have a couple of favors to ask please remember to subscribe to speaking to stacy that way you'll never miss new episodes and if you enjoyed this conversation please leave a rating and a review It helps others find the show. Remember, the more the show grows, the easier it is for me to continue to bring you beneficial content. In next week's show, I sit down with Dr. Joe Lukens. We talk about how you can go about cultivating a performance mindset and many more interesting topics. I hope you enjoyed the show today and I look forward to sharing this experience with you again next week. Until then, keep well. <laughs>